Hey everyone, welcome back to the pod. Glad you could join me from wherever you are. We had a four-game slate of NBA action yesterday, and more games the day before that. So I am here to talk about most of them. Not all of them, because some just aren't that interesting. And there isn't much to talk about, a la Philly-Washington. So, let's start with Knicks-Hawks. Let's get the bat out of the way first. It was pretty much the same story as Game 3. The Hawks were hitting their shots, and the Knicks weren't. More specifically, offense was coming to the Hawks a lot easier than the Knicks. And that should have been expected, because A... The Knicks don't have an answer for Trey Young, except trapping him, which also hasn't really worked because he's developed an ability to find the open guy while keeping his dribble. That's been very apparent, and I, I do like that about Trey Young's game. And B, the Hawks are just better. They have more bucket getters than the Knicks, and they were capitalizing on the Knicks, not keeping up with them in transition, getting pulled into the paint, which usually left a shooter open. And also swinging the ball around effectively, which usually ended up with someone pump faking, sending a nick into the frickin' exosphere, biting on the pump fake. That is something that really needs to be worked on. On the Knicks side, on offense at least, Randall was, Julius Randall, was 5 for 16 in the third quarter. And I said to myself, this has been his best game so far. Yeah, that's how it's been going. He continued to hunt for shots. I know it's what he always does, but he kept trying to shoot himself back into the game, and it just wasn't working. And it was really frustrating because it negatively affects the Knicks, obviously because he's bricking shots. But as I said on the last podcast, he's not looking to get his teammates open. That's his second option when he gets stonewalled by a flock of Hawks, or I guess more so a double team which he, has, he, he, can't, he can't score on. He can't figure out how to maneuver around them just yet. R.J. Barrett had his best statistical game of the series, but he still struggled. D. Rose was awesome in the first half, but scored two points in the second half, and the Knicks are still way too reliant on him for offense. And no one on the Knicks really settled in except D. Rose in the first half. It was not fun to watch. They all looked anxious. On the bright side, Taj Gibson was awesome defensively. Barrett and Randall were better, but overall there wasn't much to like. The Knicks did not attack Trey Young much, which annoyed me because he is literally one of the worst defenders in basketball. I don't know why they just allowed him to parch himself on Reggie Bullock. I don't know why D. Rose tried to maybe get some switches. I think they may, may the Knicks should have gone with maybe a more guard lineup in order to get Trey Young on a ball handler so they could attack him more. Um, they also didn't adjust defensively. That's on Tibbs. Like, they that they allowed the Hawks to make that, that run in the second quarter. I sound like a broken record, but that was the case. That's on Tibbs to make a defensive adjustment. And for the Knicks, I'll get into the future stuff, like what to do with Randall free agents, all that jazz after this series is over, which it looks like it's going to be soon because there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot with the Knicks this offseason. But uh, the Hawks, they're just, they're just better. They're just better, and that is all. All right, let's move on to the game 
after that, Suns-Lakers. It looked like the Lakers were going to win. LeBron was having fun. When I see LeBron having fun, I get a feeling that his team is in control. Like, for example, when LeBron at the end of Game 3 was posting up Jay Crowder, he was smiling. He knew. He was in his bag. He was in control. The Lakers were going to win. In this game, it was more of the same. He did that wild jump behind the back pass to Ben McLemore. Caruso threw him that sweet off the glass oop. LeBron was smiling. He was running hard down the floor. The Lakers looked pretty good until Anthony Davis. Damn, his, his ligaments are something else. I get he's carrying a lot of weight, but every other game it feels like he's getting hurt. After the game, a video came across my YouTube suggested of a sports doctor. I can't remember his name. He was analyzing AD's groin injury. He went, into pretty, it, he went into pretty intricate detail about what happened to AD's groin when he, I got a new angle of it. He landed on Aiden's leg. His, his left foot landed on Aiden's leg, which I didn't see when it happened, even when they were showing replays, but the doctor showed a new angle, and yeah, something, something definitely did go. Basically, his left groin overextended. That's what happened. And he said the timetable for recovery for that kind of injury is usually two weeks. And that, like other ligament injuries, re-aggravation would mean a worse injury and a longer absence. Now, what this means is that the Lakers are going to be more so the squad that plummeted them to the playing game. Well, when LeBron wasn't in the game for those few minutes he's out. They're just going to have to survive those few minutes. I mean, that, that's a tall task considering that no LeBron, no AD. We saw that their absence is what ended them, is what put them in the playing game. I guess, no, not I guess. LeBron is probably going to be playing all 42 minutes. I'd be shocked if he didn't, barring him grimacing or whatnot. Um, AD's absence is huge. His presence is felt on the defense, even when he's not having a great game. That was the case in Game 4. He wasn't having a great game, but his presence was felt on the Suns' defense. Now, the Lakers, their spacing is going to be worse because of Drummond playing more, unless they give Marcus Gasol more minutes, which is what I think they should do, because Marcus Gasol provides a lot better spacing, he's a better shooter than Andre Drummond, and is close enough to Drummond in rebounding where it isn't clear Drummond is the de facto higher on the depth chart than Marcus Gasol. And then for Phoenix... Paul, Chris Paul's shoulder looked far better. He was shooting way more. His patented meander across the paint, fall away Jay, returned. And this is the healthiest he's looked in the past couple of games, which is obviously great for Phoenix. He was also making great passes. He had a few great looks to DeAndre Ayton down low. They got him some easy buckets and a few deflections on defense. Phoenix got Chris Paul back, and the Lakers lost Anthony Davis. I say advantage Phoenix. 
And quick word on DeAndre Ayton. I love how much he's improved. He just needed some time to figure things out. And he's clearly figured some stuff out. He goes hard. He can score down low. He gets boards. And he's incredibly efficient. So I've loved, I've loved seeing DeAndre Ayton play. Play at this level. And now, with the series tied, being tied 2-2, it's crazy how much this series has seemed to flip. Now it, it feels like Phoenix has the advantage because no AD... The Lakers' depth takes a big hit, and the Suns, something they have is, is depth. So I want to see if LeBron, if he goes 2018 playoffs mode, if AD does miss time and is able to kick it into that same gear he was in those playoffs, especially in Game 1 of the 2018 Finals when he dropped 50. I think he can do it. The Suns are really good, and they've got Chris Paul. I guess we'll have to see. I think this series is going to go to a seventh game in Phoenix, and we'll just have to see how much of a load LeBron can carry. I mean, obviously, we've seen in the past he can carry the largest of loads, but um, the Suns are really good. I just, I, I, I just don't know. I, think we'll, I just think we'll have to see. I just think we'll have to see if AD's actually going to miss time, which I think it'd be best if he did. Um, but I get you want to force him back. I just, uh, I don't know. This is this is close. It, the series has seemed to flip, though. That, that is a conclusion I can draw. All right. Let's move on to another game. Nets-Celtics. Harden, Kyrie, and KD were just... They were just getting whatever they wanted when they wanted on offense. No one on Boston was any match for them defensively, and it was pretty amazing to watch all of them go deep into their bag. I wonder, though, can they do this against Milwaukee where the three guys are taking turns going iso ball? I'm not sure they can, especially considering that you got Drew Holiday, who is the best perimeter defender in basketball, I think. The Nets aren't going to spend the game just watching Kyrie or Harden go at them. I don't think they can do that because he's a way better defender than any, anyone on Boston. And isn't someone you can just go at time after time like they did with Fournier or Lankford or whoever, whoever was guarding the big three. Like you just, you just can't do that. I mean, they can try, but Drew Holiday, I think, is going to be up for the task. Giannis is going to be guarding KD instead of Tatum. That is a much tougher matchup. And the Bucks' defensive rotations are usually really sharp. Granted, Miami was having chronic offensive struggles, but that was largely in part due to Milwaukee's swarming defense. Portis and Tucker are far better defenders than anyone the Celtics have and are just tough. Capital, tough with a capital T. A trait that literally no one on the Celtics seems to possess. So, I don't think Katie and Kyrie are going to be dropping 40 bombs like they are against Boston. And I will be interested, I'll be interested to see how they approach Milwaukee's defense because I don't think they can just go your turn, my turn. There's going to have to be some swinging. There's going to, be have to, there's going to have to be ball movement. It can't just be iso ball. At least I don't think. 
They, they could pr- totally prove me wrong, but just I don't think that's how they can win against Milwaukee. So that'll be interesting to see. All right. Clippers, Mavs. Like Lakers, Suns, this series has seemed to flip. The Mavs couldn't play very much defense. The Clippers were never not in a rhythm offensively. They were hitting their shots. Oh, look at that. Transferring regular season success to the playoffs. That is a new sight for the Los Angeles Clippers. But the Mavs were not showing much resistance. For a lot of men down with their hand down. Mark Jackson would have had a field day with this game. There would have been a lot of man, hand down, man down calls. I will tell you that. The Mavs are mostly Luka. That is known. That is a fact. I know that's simple, but that's a fact. And that can be bad, as shown in Game 4, when Luka is clearly hurting. Now, first, mad respect to him for playing through that neck injury. I've had sore necks before, and they're not fun. Especially in a sport where you're constantly moving your head and your neck around, scoping your area, both on offense and defense. Limited neck mobility makes that very difficult. But back to the Luka thing. He was off. And no one else stepped up on Dallas. No one else stepped up. KP was better, but, ah, he's so frustrating. But he's still not enough of a factor. Maxi Kleber, Kleber, went scoreless in 32 minutes. That can't happen. Dorian Finney-Smith couldn't hit much. The Mavs as a team shot horribly from three. They were five for 30. That can't happen. Should the Mavericks lose this series, should the Clippers win four straight, it should be a major alert that another big piece is needed in Dallas. They have pretty solid ancillary pieces at the moment, but the scoring burden is still too heavy on Luka Doncic. I don't think Dallas has established themselves as a premier free agent destination, at least at this present moment, but I I could be wrong. That's just what I'm seeing. And maybe players really like Dallas. I don't know. But I don't, I don't like teams that, that can't step up if their star player or players aren't their usual great, as seen with Dallas. That's why I worry a bit about Utah. Because we saw when Mitchell was out, the Jazz weren't the same. That's why I worry a little bit about the Lakers. Because, obvi- I mean, obviously, it's a little bit extreme because it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I think you get what I'm saying. As for the Clippers, they showed us why they were the favorite going into the series. The Mavs could not play much defense, and Kawhi and Paul George were really good this game and last. They're showing some connectedness. The bench was hype. There were lots of high-fiving, and I feel like as long as Luka isn't fully healthy and no one else on Dallas steps up, This series has flipped dramatically. That's crazy. We went from Kawhi to Miami or New York. Clippers are blowing up. This is going to be a huge strikeout. But then Luka just... Luka's injury has... It it, it looks like it's sunk in the Mavs. A lot. So unless Luka can get back to 75-80% at least... I think the Clippers are going to win this series. Wow, that's crazy. Less than 72 hours ago. How much this has changed. All right. Last game I want to talk about is Blazers Nuggets. Just real quick. 
Um, a few side notes before the, the main theme. I aspire to have a fraction of the confidence Austin Rivers has in himself. You know who could use Austin Rivers right now? The Knicks. The Knicks could use Austin Rivers right now. It pains me to say that. Norman Powell was awesome. Nikola Jokic struggled on both ends of the floor, and no one around him was helping him too much. But the thing I took away from this game is that neither of these teams look like Western finalists. Both teams have defensive deficiencies and look worse than both the Lakers and the Suns. For the Blazers, Dame is awesome. Do not get me wrong. He is a baller. But he's a little too hot-cold. And Yusuf Nurkic is their only viable five. And they're just not a good defensive team. And for the Nuggets, we saw what they were when Jokic wasn't MVP Jokic. MPJ has yet to establish a consistent game. He has it in him. Just doesn't produce consistently. And for as fun as Facuno Campazzo is, he's just such a mismatch against most other guards. The absence of Murray is really killing them. But what I want to take away, neither of those teams look like they could get past the Lakers and the Suns. So that is all I have for today. I know there are a few other series, Philly, Washington. I mean, there's not much to talk about there. The Sixers are just a better basketball team. Milwaukee, Miami, just a complete domination, humiliation, shellacking. Um, I wonder what, I do wonder though, I do wonder what the legacy of the bubble is going to be if the Lakers do end up losing in this first round because Miami just got absolutely destroyed. The Celtics are going to lose. But I guess you can attribute that a little bit to Jalen Brown. But then the, the Nuggets, you can't really... The Nuggets don't have Jamal Murray like that's big. But the Celtics is pretty much the same roster. So I wonder if there's going to be an asterisk at all in the bubble, depending on what happens in this playoffs. Um, what other series? Oh, Utah-Memphis. trying to think of what I have. I, I guess for Memphis, this is really great. Because, I mean, obviously they have no pressure to win. But they have a pretty solid foundation. Um, Ja's still learning. That whole team is learning on the fly how to do the playoffs. Um, but that team has a really strong foundation. They just got to keep building. And Utah, the one thing I worry about with Utah is just their style of play, a.k.a. just jacking up threes. It's taken a million of them because that's what sunk the Harden Rockets in 2018. They just went completely cold. And their hucking threes method ended up costing them. But uh, I think Utah's great with Donovan Mitchell back, even though he still seems irked at the organization. Um, at least the training staff for keeping him out of game one. But uh, as long as they have Mitchell, I think they can, at the very least, in the next round, should they advance past Memphis, um, I think they're going to make it a really competitive series with whoever they play in the second round. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I really have. I'm looking forward to this ne this coming week. Um, whatever happens, I'll, I will be here for it. Hopefully I can have actual people on. I've been kind of lazy and just doing these by myself, but, uh, hopefully I'll have people on hockey playoffs. It's the second round. I kind of forgot about that, but I can, I can, Definitely talk about that as well. 
Um, but yeah, I'm going to keep recording as consistently as I can now that I'm pretty much done. My AP exams are out of the way. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this coming week and, uh, for everyone that's still listening, I appreciate it. I appreciate it greatly. So, uh, Check out the blackandwhite.net for some awesome stories by some awesome people. Same thing with the rutabaga. Everybody, go get vaccinated, please. I will see you all later this week. Take care.